Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Where in the world should you invest? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Sam Burns, Chief Strategist at Mill Street Research. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hi, Maggie. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. For a Monday, right? We have to put that caveat in there. But Sam, we were talking about how there's so much going on, but I wanted you to just give us a little overview of your approach before we dive in and talk about all of the central bank meetings and earnings that are on tap this week. So, you know, how do you, how do you sort of view the markets at Mill Street? Yeah, I think the uh, the main way that I kind of look at it is a combination of top down and bottom up. So I'm looking, of course, at the, uh, the economic data, the, the interest rates, the policy changes, all those kind of macro views uh, to come up with a top down view. And then also trying to see what's going on at the company level, uh, what are analysts doing with their earnings estimates primarily as a measure of kind of fundamental momentum, you know, where are things really changing uh, from the ground up, and then aggregating that to industries or sectors or countries or regions to see if it corroborates what I'm seeing in some of the macro data. And those two things together can really provide a, a more clear picture of what's going on globally. And I found it very useful for asset allocation as well as for stock selection. Yeah, it's interesting and, and useful now because we are, as I mentioned, in the thick of earnings season. And as we look across the markets, I mean, U.S. Uh, equities have just closed and we have another rally. Dow is up for the 11th day in a row. And it seems like a lot of people have been caught out by the strength of equities, uh, certainly this year, sort of through the, through the spring and summer, and even some of the earnings, although that's getting a little bit, it seems uh, like a little bit more mixed now and something we have to pay attention to. So excited to sort of tie it all together. So if we look across the board, I'm, I'm interested, I'm going to swap it up a little bit um, and maybe start with Europe. But I don't know, when you're looking across, since you do have a global view, what's your favorite region right now? Yeah, so I've been actually overweight Europe for quite some time. Mm. Um, and part of that was driven by the fact that earnings estimates started to pick up there uh, a number of months ago. And that told me that things were not going to be as bad potentially in Europe as everyone anticipated. As, as you may remember, uh, last year, people were assuming that the European economy was going to go into a severe recession, that they were all going to freeze to death in the winter because of the Russians cutting off the gas and all these really dire kind of things were, were anticipated. And I think at, once people realized that that was not going to happen, that the worst case was not going to happen, then people had to start ad adjusting sort of more positively and seeing earnings estimates go up. And finally, some of the economic sentiment started to turn and the stocks uh, started to rally and Europe led earlier this year. So we're starting to see that uh, develop globally. Uh, we've seen that in the US this year as well. A lot of people came into the year very negative, uh, both mm -hmm. analysts and investors. And we started to see them having to kind of price out some of that very severe negativity we saw coming in uh, from the end of last year. Yeah, certainly. So where are we now? Are you, are you, do you feel the same way? Because we, so we have the ECB meeting. Of course, we know that Europe seems to be struggling with inflation, uh, but we saw some very weak PMI readings today. I think someone pointed, especially Germany. Uh, so what, how are you feeling both about the European economy and also about some of those valuations now? 
Yeah, no, I think uh, there's a, a good chunk of the kind of revaluation has happened, meaning the uh, the bad news has been priced out again. Uh, I think there may be a little bit further to go, but I think you're right that uh, the people are getting a little more mixed now on both the earnings outlook and the macro outlook. And I think that's going to cause policymakers to probably, you know, hesitate to raise rates a whole lot further. I think um, the, the Fed and the ECB are both expected to raise rates another quarter point this week. But my guess is that there won't be a whole lot more beyond that. Europe has more of an inflation problem than we here in the U.S. do uh, because of their, their energy costs, uh, as well as the sort of limitations of, you know, a sort of a federation of countries as opposed to a single country. But I think they're, uh, they're going to be seeing slower inflation as we go into next year, just like we will. Uh, so I think the inflation concern is, is what's helping things look better and will remove some of that policy pressure as we go further into the year. And so that's kind of the upside. Uh, the downside would be is if growth slows too much and it does become look more recessionary, which I don't see in the U.S. It's certainly a possibility in Europe, but I don't see it right now. So, you don't, so it's interesting. You don't see recession in Europe because it looks like from the face of it, they've got the worst of it, right? They've got inflation that's still problematic, although maybe heading in the right direction. Um, and we're, and, you know, we're going to approach winter again, which we know brings a lot of concerns. We see what's happening with wheat. So food prices are likely to, with the port, port issues, uh, as the war continues and really weak readings. Now, okay, maybe we see a little bit of improvement, but it's, I, it ha, it's hard to find the silver lining there in Europe. Yeah, no, that's right. They're, they're really struggling more with some of those uh, supply constraints, uh, whether it's energy or food and things like that, uh, as well as you know now the slowing of, of demand, thanks to tighter monetary policy, and the, and the fact that they never really had the same kind of uh, fiscal stimulus that, that in, in, we had in the U.S. And I think that's what you're seeing now is the, the difference. The U.S.'s uh, economy is holding up a lot better uh, in relative terms than, than Europe is, uh, in part because we can produce our own energy, but also because we've had uh, a lot more supportive fiscal stimulus over here than they have. And I think that's part of what we're seeing now. And so some of the, the the lagged effects of the stimulus they did do are starting to wear off. I think that's what we're seeing now, in addition to the effects of uh, the war in Ukraine. So is it time to sell Europe if you if you were able to to sort of ride that um you know, the the fact the apocalypse didn't happen, uh, you know, and that maybe people were too bearish. Is it time to get out? Like, are you are you overweight, underweight, neutral on Europe? How are you feeling at this juncture, given the challenges? You're right. Well, and and, and I have uh, trimmed back my overweight. I've been overweight in Europe for, for a long time. But I started to trim it back a little bit uh, because we have seen some of the uh, earnings estimate trends as well as some of the macro data slow down and no longer really Kind of surprising to the upside the way they were earlier. Um, so if you have a heavy overweight, I would trim it back some. But Europe is still pretty cheap. Uh, there's still a decent amount of kind of negativity priced in there relative to what you can get, say, in the U.S., you know, North America or elsewhere. So I don't think people are sort of excessively optimistic about Europe on a valuation basis. Um, and so I think it's still okay to own. But I, I think if you have been heavily overweight Europe, you might want to trim back a little bit at this point. Yeah. Given the, given the gains this year and the fact that things are slowing down a bit. Yeah. And so complete opposite situation over here in the U S potentially, because you have, you know, the NASDAQ that's just been on fire, uh, not, not all parts of the market, but you know, there definitely are people who've been sitting out thinking that this U S equity, the U S equity market has looked toppy and it just hasn't turned. So how are you feeling about the situation here in the U.S.? Yeah, I think the U.S. has definitely been a, a better than expected story. Um, and I think they've now that there's a certain amount of momentum built up in certainly in the equity market, 
Um, I think you're going to get investors trying to, to pile into that as well. But there's definitely been a fundamental support for it. Uh, the big tech companies and, and technology in general, uh, as well as kind of growth and cyclical se sectors uh, more broadly, have actually had better earnings estimate trends than the rest of the market and than a lot of other parts of the world. So there's been a fundamental reason for the improvement. Uh, it's not just strictly multiple expansion and kind of animal spirits. Uh, and there has been a fundamental driver of that. And part of it has been um, the technology side, AI and that kind of thing. But part of it has been you know, industrials and some consumer stocks and other areas that have really surprised the upside. You know, people are going out and spending money. The, the employment market is still pretty solid in the US. And so um, I think that's been a, an ongoing surprise that we've had inflation slowing down at the same time that spending is holding up. Um, and again, I think fiscal policy gets a lot of credit for that, that people have kind of overlooked uh, here in the US because we really haven't had this combination of fiscal and monetary policy in many, many years. Um, and you're not getting that in a lot of other parts of the world. So which is why the US is standing out globally, as well as uh, within the US, the fact that we have a lot of the big tech names that are driving things globally uh, is, is helping us as well. Mm. So, you know, when the earnings have been good, how are you feeling about sentiment now? Especially because if you model on like revisions and how people are, you know, forecasting out and looking out, what is sentiment now? Because it sounds like it was overly bearish, and so people missed the rally. Are they overly bullish now? Are they are they raising their expectations? Are they sort of pricing in this uh, nirvana? I think uh, I, I don't know if it's Ed Yardani or somebody's been calling it that soft landing, Goldilocks, you name it. Are they are they starting to price that in and bake that into their estimates now, or are they still cautious? Yeah, definitely the bar is sort of higher this quarter for second quarter earnings and certainly for the, for the rest of the year than it was coming into the first quarter earnings that we got in, starting in April. And that's when we really saw the big shift in analyst behavior. They came in pretty negative. It's hard to get a little more positive on some of the large caps earlier in the year um, and then really got a lot more positive uh, in sort of April and May, uh, particularly after it looked like the, the banking issues uh, were among the regional banks had kind of, you know, the, the worst of that had passed. So I think now we've gotten to the point where the banking system is okay, earnings are okay, and uh, there's still a decent amount of kind of that stimulus left in the system. And that's what people are starting to price in now. But definitely the bar is, is higher now. You're probably not going to get the same kind of upside surprises that we got from last quarter. And it'll probably be a little more back to the kind of the choppy grind higher uh, for the rest of the year than it was uh, kind of the last few months where it was more of this kind of you know big straight shot up uh, where it took everybody by surprise. I think there's still people waiting to get in. I don't think everybody's kind of piled in just yet. I think there's probably some room for the market to broaden other sectors besides large cap tech to, to participate. Uh, but I don't think there's going to be the same magnitude of the move that we saw in the first half of the year. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I mean, can the market, if if if, if other sectors take over in terms of leadership, where do you see that happening? And, it, and is it sort of robust enough to be able to carry the market? Or, or are we looking at, at sort of sideways action? Yeah, and no, I think as you start to get some rotation, you'll see some of the industrial areas that have had very strong revisions, um, some of the consumer areas that still have strong revisions, anything tied to uh, going out, travel, entertainment, all that stuff is still pretty strong. Uh, home building, of course, has held up a lot better than most people expected. Yeah. So there's definitely areas that people thought were going to get hurt 
that haven't and that are holding up fairly well. Um, and so, and even some of the, some parts of the real estate, real REITs and things like that, that had just gotten killed uh, for months and months and months are now starting to show signs of, you know, being less bad, I guess is what you call it. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't outside know of being office. less bad doesn't fill me with a great amount of enthusiasm. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's all relative your, expectations, right? Right. Uh, I guess it depends on your risk profile, right? So if you're right. if you're willing to go out the the risk curve, then maybe things, if they've been able to survive to this point, get a second look. Right, exactly. And I wouldn't go into office buildings yet, but some of the other areas of, of the real estate market that are more tied to consumer spending and things like that, um, uh, may you know maybe the worst is is, is over there or uh, the worst is priced in, I guess. So yeah. always looking for areas like that um, that are uh, where you know things have been kind of bombed out, but then starting to to, to turn. And that's what we saw in the overall market uh, coming into this year, earlier this year, and you're starting to see it more now amongst some of the areas that have been out of favor coming in favor a little bit. But I think there's still a good cyclical tailwind. Um, I think the, the Fed has been overestimated in its effects and the uh, fiscal policy um, has been underestimated in, in its effects so far this year. And I think that'll probably go on for a, a little while longer. Oh, that's interesting. So so talk about that a little bit more. I mean, we because we have been very focused on the Fed because the Fed has been trying really hard to convince us that they are going to continue to, if not hike, hold right higher for longer so there's been a lot of focus you think too much focus on that i think certainly at this point i mean once they've raised rates 500 basis points another quarter point or two here or there is not going to make a whole lot of difference economically but they have a, a messaging issue to, to kind of deal with and you know for many years i think the fed has been kind of given more uh credence or more influence over the economy than they really have um that they they, they tried to make inflation happen for years and couldn't really and now they're trying to slow it down. And I think it's slowing down kind of more on its own than as a result of what the Fed's done. Mm. But I think that they're, uh, they're, they're trying to respond to it in a way that, you know, kind of reaches their sort of political goals in some sense, but also tries to uh, give them a, a position to where they can cut rates and, and, and address things if they, if they start to weaken later. Uh, I think part of it is wanting to have ammunition, some bullets to, uh, to, to shoot if things get weak, you know, next year or the year after. I think that was a big worry with zero rates for so long that uh, they, they they wouldn't have anything to be able to do if things got even worse. And now they're they're to the point where they've got rates back up to a much higher level. I think it's going to be harder to, to justify five percent plus rates when inflation is down at you know two or three percent pretty soon. Mm. Uh, and so I think they're going to start to 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 change their their tune a little bit. And particularly as the the composition of the Fed, the FOMC has, has shifted a little bit lately. Uh, it's not quite as hawkish as it used to be. Uh, yeah, it's worth pointing out. They've got a few appointments to make. We learned not long ago that uh, Bullard's leaving, who is very hawkish now, by the way, used exactly. to be a dove, but he's been, he's been one of the more hawkish voices on the Fed. So there there is going to be a change in personnel. And one would think it wouldn't have that much of an impact since they are data dependent. But as we know, everyone looks at things through a different lens. What What part of the fiscal side of things do you think is, or, or what about the fiscal situation do you think may not be fully priced in or, or, or appreciated? Yeah, well, I think the fiscal side has been the, the kind of like slower moving and, and more you know, harder to pin down thing. Everyone's used to watching the Fed and everyone can say what the interest rate is with, with precision, but the fiscal side is, is much harder to kind of nail down. And it's been, like I say, many, many years, decades really, since we've had a combination of uh, you know fiscal policy being accommodative the way it is now. We have a seven or so, 8% 
uh, deficit to GDP ratio, which is kind of a rough gauge of how loose or, or tight fiscal policy is, uh, along with higher interest rates. And so I think we, it's been a long time since we've seen that. Normally, we see Fed raising rates and fiscal policy getting tighter. Mm. Um, and that's why you usually get a slowdown pretty soon after that. Whereas in this case, we haven't gotten that. We've had fiscal policy kind of offsetting monetary policy. And I think the fact we've had these kind of uh, the, uh, the Infrastructure Act, the CHIPS Act, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, all coming um, after all the stimulus that came from COVID um, has been given sort of a, a longer kind of, uh, you know, chain of fiscal stimulus that's kind of working its way through the system over time and affecting more of the industrial side of the economy. You know, people are building factories and, and doing new things they didn't do uh, before because of uh, a fiscal policy. And so it's less about, you know, tax cuts and things like that or cash for clunkers or things like they did after the 2008, 2009. This is a much more broad-based and industrially focused uh, kind of fiscal policy. And it's having knock-on effects in the private sector, I think, which has been kind of underestimated so far because it's just been so long since we've ever really seen that in this country. And uh, yeah. so I think that'll probably go on for a while. I don't think we'll get any new programs given the split in Congress now, but the programs that have already been put in place will have a kind of a long tail, I think. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that, Sam, because I literally, and and chime in uh, on the chat if you if any of you are seeing the same, if you're US-based, but I, I, it's, I have to weave my way through my neighborhood and town right now because there are so many public work projects going on. And this has probably been making its way through. And they're not all from the town. Some of them may be the utility or, but you know, it's probably all related to the enormous amount of infrastructure money that's been put to work um, and or some of the, you know, some of the relief or aid that came through that whole entire COVID process. So it's so interesting because it's really, it's tangible now. You know, the old um, shovel ready, it takes a while. But I, I'm seeing it everywhere. Every highway I go on, I, I was just out in Wisconsin. I saw the same exact thing. So it, it's interesting that you say that because it may well have a really long tail, that spending. That's very hard to, to judge or, or to model, really. Yeah, that's right. No, I think you are seeing it. it, is, it is, it's a longer term thing. It doesn't affect things as, as immediately as a, as a rate hike or something that the Fed does uh, that people are used to in the financial markets. And yeah, everything takes a while to go through processes and, and the money to get spent, but it is being spent. Yeah, we can certainly see it around here in the Boston area and, uh, and a lot of places all over the country that, that it is getting spent and it will be, like I say, this kind of longer term you know, effect. Those, those things are not just a, a thing that happens in one quarter and then it's over. Uh, they, they go on for a while and have lasting impacts. So I think that's the part that, that's been sort of underappreciated so far and it is, is hard to model. But I think the, we can see it in the earnings estimates, and you can see it in the uh, the GDP and the macro data that uh, construction, uh, you know, non-residential construction is, you know, is way up in a lot of uh, areas, particularly things related to technology uh, and things like that. Uh, all the green spending and you know, battery factories and all those kinds of things uh, are all having an impact. And part of it is the government directly, whether federal or state or local, mm -hmm. and part of it is, is private sector uh, you know, companies uh, kind of latching onto that. And, and spending money. And then of course you also have the fact that commodities, you know, are, are much lower. Fuel costs are relatively low. I know copper and a lot of the industrial metals have come down a lot, uh, partly because of China's weakness, um, but it's, it's made it more feasible and more profitable to do those kinds of things than it would have say even a, a year or a year and a half ago when all those prices were much higher. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up China uh, because we, 
we know that a lot of people have been looking at the Chinese economy that, you know, the hopes that their reopening would fuel global growth haven't haven't come to fruition. Um, they've been struggling struggling a little bit. Uh, Cullen Roche sat down with Richard Koh, chief economist at Nomura, to talk about some of the headwinds facing China. Let's have a listen to a clip from that, and then we'll talk on the other side. My sense is that the problem Chinese economy is facing is quite substantial, because if the Chinese government Chinese companies stop borrowing money or reduce their borrowings because of uncertainty in with the West, this um, geopolitical confrontation, and there's a middle income trap issue. China is right at the middle of the middle income trap, where a lot of companies may be moving their factories to cheaper places. And of course, demographics that a lot of people talk about. And finally, the population shrinking on the same year the bubble bursting. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. And that full uh, discussion on actually the global economy, China was a part of it, is available on the website today. It just dropped today. If you're not a member, scan the QR code so you can access that and all of our great content. Uh, So, Sam, we know that the the Politburo's meeting uh, later this week, there have been some reports and leaks about what they might be doing, some measures they're unveiling. Will it be enough? Um, you know, not being a, a real China expert, but uh, my guess is probably not. Um, so far, they've been relatively um, sort of, you know, smaller scale uh, than what they've done in the past. Uh, certainly, if you look back at, say, 2015, 16, the stimulus they did then, which really kind of got the whole global economy going, I don't expect anything nearly that magnitude. I think they're definitely still struggling with, uh, you know, debt and real estate, and uh, they're just having trouble converting their economy away from just relying on exports uh, and infrastructure spending to more domestic consumption-based uh, growth. And I think that's going to be an ongoing thing in China for for quite some time, which is going to kind of hinder their ability to really stimulate aggressively, particularly given their demographics now. Yeah. Um, Corey says that Boston area is always under construction. You read my mind, Corey. I was going to say that right afterwards because any of us who are familiar with Boston know that's true. Uh, But who knows? Maybe even more so. We're going to have to take Sam's word for that. Uh, I'm going to cycle in some questions um, and then, but we'll we'll hit on a couple areas that we haven't too. There's so much to get through. Um, G Blackburn asking a great question says Europe's always cheap. If you're allocating versus the MSCI AWCI. What are your favorite areas or sectors? Oh, I say, uh, where's just the global? Um, yeah, so my favorite sectors globally uh, would probably be uh, industrials, uh, technology, and uh, consumer discretionary right now. Uh, I think, generally speaking, the developed markets at least have pretty good uh, consumer spending patterns, and there's enough uh, sort of that industrial side of the economy that's holding up, you know, autos and, and travel and entertainment and things like that that are. Uh, uh, are there, and I'm seeing it in the earnings estimates. So I would probably focus on those. I would probably focus away from the commodity sectors, energy materials, uh, and then real estate globally is still relatively weak. Uh, it's doing a little better in the U.S., but but less so globally. Um, so that's kind of where I'd focus, keep it a sort of a more cyclical and probably a little bit more growth-oriented tilt. Truly mm. next, asking, um, Sam, don't you think that the BIMI, Brazil, India, Mexico, Indonesia, have a better outlook than Europe given structural demographic trends and their geopolitical 
neutral stance. I just, I should point out too, I, I think Mexico had some um, data showing that uh, inflation was slowing um, as a result of some of those high interest rates and the strong currency as well. I think that came out today. But um, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, no, I think uh, the, some of the emerging markets outside of China uh, definitely look better than, than China and, and some of the countries right around it do. Um, and I would say uh, if they can get, yeah, sort of the inflation under control and some of their policies um, a little more, you know, kind of economic, economically friendly, uh, I think there's definitely a lot of upside in some of those uh, markets that you mentioned. Um, you know, it's hard to see that right now. Uh, a lot of them are still seeing their earnings estimates, you know, under pressure from what I'm looking at. Um, I think in India is actually, uh, Mexico and India are among the, 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 the better ones among the emerging markets uh, that I look at, uh, the larger markets. Uh, but, you know, the, a lot of the commodity tied markets like South Africa and certainly China and even Taiwan now are relatively weak in, in the work that I do. Uh, if you look kind of the average company or the average stock in those markets. So I'm still underweight emerging markets in general, uh, looking for signs of, you know, a turn and some of those fundamentals at the bottom up view. But uh, but those are kind of markets to where you, there probably is more upside potential uh, outside of China. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, Sam. And I know many of our uh, very shrewd, uh, experienced listeners know this. But if you're newer um, on the learning or earlier on the learning curve, when you, when if you're looking at emerging market index, you have to be careful and look at the weighting because some of them are are very heavily exposed to one or two countries. It used to be China, for example, um, and so even if you think you're buying emerging markets, you're not. You have to be careful that you want to be buying the markets that they're that they're in. So you have choices, but you want to dig in the details of that and look underneath the hood to make sure that you're buying what you want. And Trillian Next made a, a, a very clear distinction about some, you know, how he's looking at them through demographics and geopolitics. So be careful if you're in that emerging market space that you're doing that kind of more detailed homework. Roger asking, does Sam have any view on Canadian equities? Hmm. Uh, I do. And unfortunately, it's a negative one right now. Uh, I've been underweight Canada for a, a while now and still am. Um, that's actually one of the weakest uh, markets uh, in terms of the uh, earnings estimate trends that I look at. And I think a lot of that is just because Canada, unfortunately, right now is exposed to, uh, in fact, the, the sort of the weightings that you're talking about uh, in Canada are heavily tilted toward uh, financials, uh, energy, and materials are the three biggest sector weights in Canada by far. And those are all sectors that are kind of out of favor, or under pressure right now. Um, both because of you know oil prices and natural gas prices going down, metals prices under pressure, mm-hmm. and then the f- financials, particularly the banks in Canada, uh, under pressure because their real estate market is a little wobbly there as well, and it's very concentrated uh, amongst the big four. So you have a, a very sort of narrow, concentrated market in terms of market cap in Canada, and they're exposed to those kind of uh, commodity or value sectors that are really not in favor globally right now. So uh, I would probably you know underweight or avoid Canada for now, uh, have for a little while have to wait for, for things to, to shift uh, in the commodity and financials areas before you really want to own uh, Canadian stocks overall. Yeah. And Bank of Canada uh, high rates again today uh, as they struggle with inflation. As we mentioned, there's a lot going on. Um, Sam, what's your time horizon? Because you're you're obviously sort of looking at this. Tra- you track earnings in there every quarter. But you know, as we're talking about this and you're, you're sort of talking about being underweight or overweight or holding off or watching a space, what kind of time frame do you usually operate on? Yeah, generally speaking, uh, I'm looking kind of out anywhere from one to six months. 
Um, now, sometimes I'll have uh, positions or views, allocation views that will go on for you know a year or two, uh, certainly. Uh, and then certainly my underweight in emerging markets, for instance, dates back, I think, to May of 21. Um, but it's uh, generally, you know, I review everything every month at least. And uh, generally, the allocation views kind of are looking at one to six months uh, just because, yeah, the quarterly reporting cycle, uh, you know, GDP data and kind of the way uh, investors behave tends to focus on that uh, that kind of time horizon. Uh, you know, much shorter than that, you get into very sort of noisy things and, and much more tactical things. And yeah. trying to look out too far uh, really just becomes a guessing game if you're looking at multiple years. So, uh, so that's kind of the, the focus of, of my work and a lot of my clients uh, who have to manage money quarter to quarter. Yeah, uh, they have. They can't be on the wrong side of something for too long. Yeah, well, <laughs> and and yet that's been the problem, hasn't it? Um, or or out, uh, or, or out of the market in some cases. So Christopher asking, uh, is Sam looking for a soft, medium, or I actually four choices: soft, medium, hard, or no landing in the U.S. And what is your estimate for twenty three and twenty four S and P earnings? So yes, yeah, so I, I think we're probably in a soft landing scenario right now. I think we're seeing real GDP growth in the U.S. at kind of a one to one and a half percent rate, um, and that's to me what a soft landing looks like. We're seeing inflation come down and you know positive but moderate growth. So the growth is not fast enough to cause inflation, but it is positive. Now you could certainly see the odd quarter or two of negative growth here and there, depending on which GDP numbers you're looking at. But I think right now we're still in the, in the positive growth territory. And again, because of fiscal policy and the lagged effects of you know what's happened before, I think we'll, that'll continue for at least through the rest of this year and in early next year. Um, so in terms of earnings, I think we'll probably you know get sort of flattish growth this year and probably something like eight to ten percent growth next year. Um, I think the consensus right now is uh, 244 for earnings per share for the S&P 500, uh, according to FactSet. I think that could come down a little bit, um, but I don't see it falling off a cliff. Um, so I think we'll still get some decent growth next year. And I think that we'll, we've already seen the worst of the earnings declines. Uh, that, that's, that's happening sort of last year and now. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll get back to sort of some positive growth in earnings, um, assuming that everything is more or less status quo. The Fed kind of keeps rates here and then starts to cut next year. And the fiscal situation stays roughly where it is and no big new supply shocks or, or wars or things. Um, that's kind of my baseline scenario right now. Yeah, uh, good stuff. And Benjamin concurring that he there's construction everywhere. So uh, thank you for that, Benjamin, uh, and welcome to the show. So uh, interesting to watch because we have to remember we're going to be approaching election cycle here in the U.S. too. So um, marry what you mentioned that might be underappreciated with fiscal and layer on that an election when nobody wants to talk about uh, cutting or raising taxes or being stingy. Everybody wants to open up the purse. So it'll be very, very interesting to watch. Sam, a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. It was great to catch up with you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks to all of you for the fantastic questions. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Tony Greer. So be sure to join us for that. And in the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.